Good morning, HCC. Pastor Brian here. Thank you so much again for joining us for prayer and for worship. I'm always blessed to see how many people are tuning in uh, once we start our, our, our prayer time. Um, you always struggle because you never know how many people are going to join us, but every week it's, it's a good, solid number, and I thank you so much for praying for the different things we've prayed for throughout these weeks. I think we're on, what, week 1,000 of being at home, um, and each week you guys tune in and you're joining us in prayer, and you're joining us in worship, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm betting you're as blessed as I am by our worship. Thank you to our worship team uh, for everything that they do, for putting out worship, putting out songs for us, to feel connected to each other, to feel connected to God. I've always found that worship is probably the easiest place for me to be connected to God in any moment. If I'm really struggling with that, I'll, I'll tune, turn on some, some worship music, my faves, my jams, and and I'll just kind of lose myself, and that's where I find that I'm able to find God in that moment. And so I pray this morning that you found the presence of God as you're worshiping, and I hope that today we can um, be challenged in not being distracted, in not being distracted, and, and I know I said last week, but you can't really see it, it says, missing what matters most there in the middle. And I, that's what we talked about last week, the Pharisees missed so many things because they were focused on all the wrong areas. And today we're going to look at the Sadducees and how they were distracted and, and um, what they missed out on and what they found important and connect, found important and connect it back to us in our day and age. And so, um, but first we're going to pray because that settles me, that settles you, uh, and it gives us a chance to uh, be ready to hear what God has to say to us this morning. So join me in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And thank you that it's new today. It's new every morning. Uh, God, thank you for all the great things that you've done during this really challenging season um, with the COVID-19 and us not being able to meet together as a church and churches throughout the United States and throughout the world. God, thank you for what you've done through technology and allowed us to still connect and still be the church without ever meeting together. And God, always remind us that it's not about meeting together to be the church. It's about telling people about you. It's about getting outside of these walls to love other people. And God, this morning I pray that you remove the distractions. It's easy to be distracted at home with, with kids and with the phone and your if you're on your phone, there's a thousand other apps that you could be looking at and there's probably dishes to do and floors to be vacuumed and yards to be mowed. But God, this morning I pray that we can put all those aside for the next half an hour and really focus on you. Really focus on your spirit and your word and, and let it challenge us and let it, let it change us, God. And God, this morning give us ears to hear, hearts that are ready to be molded and feet that are ready to be moved to action. And God, anything that I say, that is from me and my imagination. Let it be forgotten before anyone turns off this video. And everything that's from you, let it stick forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And like I said last week, we talked about the Pharisees and we talked about that they had taken God's word and built a protective fence around it, a hedge, to make sure that no one ever violated any of the laws. And that's great. That's, that's awesome that they wanted to make sure that no one violated any of the laws of God. Um, but in doing that, they became distracted and their focus was wrong. They were so focused on um, every, as Jesus called them, jot and tittle of the Old Testament that they missed the big picture. And that big picture is Jesus, that the entire Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the history, everything points to Jesus and they completely missed it. 
Uh, and today we're going to look at the Sadducees and where they were distracted and where they missed it because where the Pharisees were so focused on the religious life and you got a chance in the New Testament and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you got a chance to see the Pharisees and Jesus debate and discuss and argue and those sorts of things. You don't see that very much with the Sadducees because, frankly, the Sadducees didn't care. They were much more focused on the political life than they were on the uh, spiritual life, where the Pharisees only focused, only looked at the law and the word of God and how that interacts with our life. The Sadducees weren't doing that. The Sadducees were a ruling aristocratic religious group. They were uh, the same level of understanding of Uh, the scriptures and the law as the Pharisees. They were great interpreters of the law. But when it came to life and the application of what they read and what they understood, they twisted all of it to maintain power, to maintain control, uh, to maintain the status quo. And lots of different things that I've read this week and, and in some classes I've taken, the Sadducees were strictly about maintaining their control, maintaining their wealth. They were incredibly wealthy. Um, in fact, they controlled uh, the high priest. They controlled uh, what he did and how he did it. And um, they were very powerful and they wanted to maintain that power. Where the Pharisees wanted to uh, crucify Jesus because he challenged what they believed about the law, the Sadducees wanted to crucify Jesus because he was changing the power structure. And they controlled so many things. But they really came to power during the Maccabean Revolt of 167 BC. If you're not familiar with the Maccabean Revolt, you can watch Friends. Um, Ross Geller is the holiday armadillo and does a really good job of teaching his son, Ben, about um, the Maccabean Revolt and Hanukkah and those sorts of things. Again, now I say that I've, uh, people have told me that you can do that. I've never actually watched the show being a holy man of God as I am. Um, but I've been told that uh, it's, it's a show that, that teaches some things every now and then. But uh, again, never seen any of the 10 seasons and, and don't know any of the characters' names or, or, or who they're married to or what their kids' names are. I wouldn't know that at all. Uh, but the Maccabean Revolt really started after what's called the Abomination of Desolation. It was this really uh, catalyzing event in the history of the Jewish people. Uh, at this point, Jerusalem and Israel was controlled by the Greeks. And the Greeks had come in in an attempt, in, in an attempt, that was difficult to say, they, in an attempt to um, squash the Jewish religion, they turned the temple that was supposed to be for Yahweh, the Old Testament God, the God that we know, um, for his worship, and they turned it into worshiping Zeus, their God. And in fact, they went so far as to uh, sacrifice pigs, on the altar within the Holy of Holies, within the temple, which was the most sacrilegious, blasphemous thing that you could do in that temple. And again, it's called the abomination of desolation. And in that moment, the Jewish people were so fed up and and the Greeks had gone too far that it caused an uprising that led to the overthrow of the Greeks and Jewish control of Israel for about 100 years. Now, once all the Greeks left, they left all their land and all their property and all their belongings so that they wouldn't be killed by the Jewish uprising. And the Sadducees were really, really good about taking opportunities. And so they took over the houses, they took over the estates, they took over the property, they took over the money, and they became the most powerful group within Jerusalem. 
and they wanted to maintain this power. And so when the Romans came in at, in 63 BC and took over Israel, the Sadducees did a really good job of learning how to uh, maneuver and work with the new power at hand. And they continued to be a very prominent, very dominant, very wealthy, very influential group through the time of the Roman occupation. And the place that they were in control the most was the temple. They controlled everything that happened in the temple, from the sacrifices to the offerings to the money to everything. And they used it to build their power. They used it to maintain control of people because everything in Jewish life centralized around the temple. And so at different times during the year, uh, every Jewish man, woman, and child would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for different festivals to make different offerings. And the, the Sadducees were in control of the temple finances. And so what you had to do, there was a temple currency because you couldn't use secular currency within the temple. And so if you had Roman currency, you'd have to come in and you'd have to exchange the Roman currency for temple currency. And the, the, the exchange rate changed based from person to person. Um, based on whatever the Sadducees thought that they could get from you, that was the exchange rate. And they uh, sold doves and pigeons and uh, goats and all these different things. And whatever needed to be sacrificed, they would sell it there. But again, the, 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 the price and the exchange rate was always based on what they thought they could manipulate you out of. And this was occurring in the temple. This was occurring in God's house. And this is why you see, if you want to turn there real quick, Matthew 21. We're going to be in the book of Matthew today. We're only going to look at um, three different sections of verses, all in Matthew um, all in this, the back half of Matthew. This, I think Matthew 21 is the earliest one we look at in Matthew today. But in Matthew 21, we see uh, Jesus being so fed up with this system, so tired of this system of um, extortion and manipulation and using people and taking advantage of the poor. Um, because we have to remember that you couldn't just go to the temple and be like, oh, I've only got this much money and if I can't buy the pigeon, then I'm going to have to just go home. That wasn't an option. They had to make the sacrifices, sacrifices to be made right with God. And so the Sadducees knew that and took complete advantage of that and would charge um, the poor more but charge the rich less because then the rich would help them later on. And Jesus was so tired of this. And we see it multiple times in John, but in Matthew chapter 21, verse 12, we see it says, And Jesus entered the temple, and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He was done with it. He was done with the Sadducees. He was done with their attempt to control the house of God and manipulate it for their own good. Um, and it was all about maintaining their power. They weren't concerned about really following God's laws. They weren't really concerned about the Messiah. In fact, they didn't really believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe that a body could be resurrected, and especially once Jesus lived his life and died on the cross, they were sure that there could not be a resurrection because they knew, they knew that if there was a resurrection, then Jesus was God. And if Jesus was God, that means he rules by his rules. And they couldn't do that. Because Jesus said things like, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. He said things like, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, you've got to be a servant. 
Um, And they knew that in the new covenant that Jesus talked about, there wouldn't be any more sacrifices. There wasn't a need for the temple. There would be the Holy Spirit. And we know now, looking back, that we are the temple. Paul tells us that in one of his letters, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God does not live in places built by human hands anymore. He lives in people. He lives in us. And the Sadducees couldn't handle that. The Sadducees were so um, against and opposed and fought completely against the idea of a resurrected Jesus because it changed everything for them. They could no longer be in control. They would have to follow. And that's where they really struggled. And we see this in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 11 through 14. This is right after the resurrection. Some of the guards, here, I'll just, I'll just read it to you. I don't need to paraphrase. Matthew 28, 11 through 14. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests. Now again, the chief priest was, in, was being controlled by the Sadducees um, at this time. Uh, they told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they, had assemb- when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Satisfy him meant that, they, meant that they would pay him enough money that he wouldn't say anything other than, oh, my men fell asleep, the, the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus, which is categorically impossible, um, but that's another message for another time. But they understood that we cannot allow people to believe in a resurrected Jesus. We cannot believe, allow people to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, not for any theological or doctrinal reason. They didn't disagree with it because it was against their theology or against their doctrine or against what they believed. They only refused to believe it because if they did, they'd have to follow Jesus because they understood as much as, as, much as we should that if a man predicts his death and his resurrection and pulls it off, you probably should listen to what that man has to say. And the Sadducees knew that. The Sadducees recognized that. And so they fought tooth and nail to dissuade people of a resurrected Jesus. Now here's what I find really interesting about Matthew 28 and about all of history. No one ever came up with the body. And if you look at history, you look at that the, the disciples were, were treated very poorly. There was persecution throughout the land. Uh, the disciples were not gaining anything. If this had been true, if this had been true that the disciples had simply stolen the body, I, I find it very hard to believe that with everything that they went through, that they wouldn't have just given the body back and said, oh, it was a big joke. Oh, it was, we, we, we were trying to take control and, and this is too much. You're killing too many of us. No, we're done. Here's the body. That never happened. That never happened. The body never showed up. If, if, if the, the Sadducees had taken it, if the Romans had taken it, it, it made no sense not to produce the body. The reason the body was never found is because the body was not there. Jesus truly resurrected, and, and no one, I'm sorry, no one has any solid evidence that that didn't happen. But I think the Sadducees and us, we are very similar in the fact that uh, I think sometimes We really, really love Jesus being our Savior, but we're not always a huge fan of him him being Lord. And this is the elephant in the room. This is the elephant in the room when we start talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And if you're tuning in today, this morning, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, and maybe you're new to church and this resurrection thing, um, this is where I think so many people really start struggling is, 
Um, they start to believe that if, well, if, if, I, if I believe, if I place my faith in Jesus, so many things in my life have to change. And again, that, that, that eventually becomes the truth, but that is what's called uh, sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus. The problem is so many Christians have put it out there that you have to be like Jesus to believe in Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, I, I came for those that are sick. I didn't come for the well. I came to, as Paul says in, in 1 Timothy, 1st or 2nd Timothy, sorry, he tells his, his protege Timothy, Jesus came to save sinners. That's who he came to save. He didn't come to save people who don't need to be saved. And what we've done is, is we've, we've done a really good job as, as Christians of, of talking about Jesus as Savior and, and talking about him as Savior, but we don't always live as though he's Lord. Because, and it's really easy to know. It's really easy to know. And this is why it's so frustrating for me because I'm not any better at this than anybody else. This is what God has shown me because he's working with me on it. If there's a decision to be made, and I make the decision, I'm Lord. Right? If, if, the, if the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of the universe lives inside me, which is what the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, the very spirit of the creator God, lives inside of me, and I have access to him, and there's a decision to be made, and I make my own decision, that makes me God. That makes me Lord. I'm not very good at following and sometimes, I'll be honest, and I think a lot of you can relate to this, I love Jesus the Savior. I love his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. Sometimes I struggle with him being my Lord. Sometimes I struggle to submit myself because once I submit myself, I recognize, just like the Sadducees did, that if he resurrected from the dead, he is the ruler and rules by his rules. I'm no longer in control. It's no longer my way of doing things. And that's hard because Jesus said the last will be first and the first will be last. If you want to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, it'll never be about you. It's always about everyone else. And I think if I'm going to be even more honest and, and continue to push this button a little bit, uh, I think this is where outsiders of the church struggle looking at insiders of the church. Because we don't appear to follow very well either. We don't follow the, the tenets because, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but we really do live in a post-Christian society where the majority of people have some understanding of Christianity. But what we do is, is we, we want to be in control. We want to be in control of every aspect of our lives and and that's what I think God is this morning trying to get us to understand, trying to get me to understand and help you understand. If we want to do this thing right, if we want to be followers of Jesus, which is what a Christian is, we have to follow. And I think the outsiders looking at us are struggling with that right now. Because if you look at the, the church's response to the COVID-19 situation and us not being able to meet regularly, it doesn't look like we're following very well. It looks like we want to be in control and, and you can't tell me what to do and you can't tell me to wear a mask. I'll wear a mask. If I want to wear a mask, this is America, it's freedom. What would Jesus have you do? Jesus spent his whole life on earth lowering himself to make sure that everyone else was lifted up. 
He put everyone else's needs in front of his own, everyone else's desires in front of his own. And we as the church, we, we call it persecution. And, and I'm going I'm to challenge you right now. I've read, I've read lots of things on social media coming from good, solid, wonderful, God-fearing Christian people that say that the church is being persecuted. And I'm sorry, read what Nero, Diocin, um, and I can't remember the third uh, Roman leader. Just go back and read some history of what the Romans did to Christians during their, their rule. Go read what has happened in, in Asia. Go read what's happened in sub-Saharan Africa. Go read what's happened in the Middle East. And then please never talk about persecution in the United States. We're being inconvenienced at best. But what we do is we take this inconvenience and because we don't follow well, because we don't like being told what to do, we fight against it. And guys, here's the deal. I'm a child of the 90s. I understand wanting to fight against everything. I have angst built inside of me. I want to fight against it. But I realize that Jesus was not about that. Jesus was about following. He was about focusing on others. And sometimes I think the church doesn't do a great job of that. I think that the church struggles to be willing to humble ourselves enough to be told what to do. And like I said, we, we, this is where we struggle in, in church is to understand that the culture has changed. That we live in a post-Christian society. That the average person that you meet on the street has at least a fundamental working knowledge of how Christianity works. Now maybe it's probably a flawed fundamental working knowledge. They, they don't probably have the whole story, but they have elements of it. They have elements of the story and they know that we're supposed to be kind and they know that we're supposed to be loving and they know that we're supposed to be merciful and we're supposed to be forgiving. And so we create this contradiction for them when all over social media we bash certain things. And what we're doing is we're, we're just like the Sadducees, we're bashing certain things to put them down and I truly believe it's to maintain our own power and control. Just real quick, we, we bash homosexuals we bash liberals. We bash those who don't think like us, who don't look like us, don't act like us, don't behave like us. Last week, we talked about racism. That's not what I'm talking about here, but we'll add that to it. But the Christian church is, just, just take just a minute, and I did this, and, and I, I repented, and I'll repent to you guys as well, that, that I've spent more time on my social media bashing things that I disagree with than promoting the gospel of Jesus. And if I'm thinking what an outsider is looking at, I'm not following Jesus. I'm doing what I want to do, which makes me Lord, not him. I've gotten distracted. We've gotten distracted. We've gotten distracted by trying to maintain a Christian society, which I'm sorry, I don't know that we ever were, but we have this idea that there was one point in our history that the United States was a Christian country, and so we have to get back there. Please tell me what year that was. I'd love to research that. I don't see it in history. But what we're doing is we're being a lot like the Sadducees because we're not following what Jesus has asked us to follow. We're distracted by wanting to have power and control and authority instead of remembering that Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you serve everyone, believer and unbeliever alike. 
And the saddest part for me is that you see this very much within the walls of the church. Churches don't split over theology or doctrine. Now, right now, we have a very large denomination in our world that's splitting over theology and doctrine. But for most part, if you look at church splits and throughout the most recent history, it's not over theology or doctrine. It's music. It's programs. It's practices. It's preferences. All things that we want to control to have our way in the church. We're not fighting over theology. We're not fighting over Arminianism or Calvinism. That doesn't split churches. Because frankly, nine out of ten people don't care. What splits churches is, well, that song was too loud. That's not a hymn. We used to do that program. We don't do that anymore. The pastor said this, and he didn't do that, and he's not this enough, and he's not that enough, and and we're essentially leaving churches because we only agree with 98% of what's happening. And that 2% is not doctrine, is not Bible. It's what the Sadducees were doing. It's my preference. I want control. I want to lead. And I'm going to say it, we're going to have a new pastor soon. And every single member of Harrisonville Community Church needs to pause for just a minute and examine our expectations of that man. And say, is that a preference? Or is that gospel? Because if you left the church, if you leave Harrisville Community Church because we're not preaching the gospel enough, I'll send you on your way, praying for you and repenting. But people don't leave because of that. People don't leave churches because of those things. They leave because they're not doing what I want them to do. That was essentially the entire struggle that the Sadducees had with Jesus. He's not behaving the way we want him to. And they went as far as to kill him. So what's, what's our response? How do we remove the distraction? How do we uh, make sure that our focus is correct? In this world where everything seems to be drawing us away from the gospel. As followers of Jesus, it seems like everything is pulling us farther away from the centrality of the gospel. That Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for our sins, he lived a perfect life, died in a way that no one would, and was resurrected from the dead, and he is the perfect sacrifice that connects us back to our creator God. Because that's the most amazing thing about the gospel, is the fact that the creator of the universe wants to have a relationship with you wants to be a part of your life and and wants to lead you because let's be honest, not many of us are really great about leading our own lives. One of my favorite quotes about this comes from a man that I truly love. His name is Keith Swartz. He was an associate pastor here for many, many years, like a hundred, maybe 150, I think. He's old. Um, And uh, those of you who know Keith are laughing right along with me. Um, Anytime that you would be frustrated at something and you would be just in angst about something, he would just stop you and say, how's that working for you? And it made you just pause and want to punch the old man in the throat because he's so right. And what he was essentially saying is you're running your own life. You're trying to do it your way. You're trying to power or manipulate through this. How's that working for you? That's right, it's not. 
And if any of you have been, how's that working for you, to buy Mr. Keith Swartz, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And he would do it at the perfect time just to make you so angry that you snapped back to reality. And you got so frustrated, but it started to not be frustrated at him for telling you the truth. It started to be frustrated at yourself for just getting it so wrong. For just trying to lead our own lives because we want to be the captain of our own ship and steward our own journey when in reality our entire focus and entire job as followers of Jesus is to do what God would have us to do. And that's where you see the Jesus model in Matthew 26. In Matthew 26, this is before the crucifixion, right before the arrest of Jesus. He just had the Last Supper with his followers. You can read a ton about that in the book of John. And here in Matthew 26, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's just read it together. Then Jesus, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. You'll see that word highlighted each and every time that Jesus does this. Because this is the number one step in you not being distracted. This is the number one thing that you can do to maintain the following of Jesus. Because prayer is so much more about us being in tune with God as it is, it, as it is about him changing anything in our lives. We need to be in tune with what God is doing. We need to be in tune with what is happening in our world. And that happens by prayer. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And talking with him, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What he's talking about is he's, he's recognizing that here in just a little bit, He's going to be arrested. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be spit on. He's going to be hit. He's going to be whipped. He's going to be nailed to a tree, and he's going to die suffocating in his own blood. I would want that cup to pass for me, too. And also, theologians who are much smarter than me begin to tell us that this is probably where Jesus began to feel the weight of the history and future of sin begin to weigh upon his shoulders. This is where the, the intimate connection between Jesus and God began to be pulled away as, as Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, that God made him, being Jesus, who knew no sin, had never wronged, had never erred, made him who knew no sin to become sin so that you and I can become the righteousness of God. And Jesus was feeling this. And he began to want his own way. He wanted to make a change in plans. He wanted to do something different. He wanted to be the captain of his own ship. He wanted to steward his journey. But he recognized, my job here is to follow my Father God. Jesus said in his gospel, in the gospels, he said, I don't do anything that I see. I only do what I see the Father do. Forgive me, sorry. I only do what I see the Father do. I only follow. I don't lead. I don't lead. I only follow. I give up all power. I give up all control. I give up all esteem. I give up all status just to follow. And that's where he was. But he continues. But he says, nevertheless, not 
as I will, but as you will. This kind of willingness to sacrifice our wants and our desires and our control only comes through prayer. Only comes through prayer. That's the only way we're going to get here because this is so unnatural for us. If any of you have kids, you know that they were born wanting to lead. Very few of us have children that were born going, oh, I want to just be totally submissive to everything you want, mom and dad. Oh, you want a nap? Let me take a nap too. It'll just be perfect for all of us. No. They wake up with their own wants, their own desires, their own will. And Jesus had the same thing. And in this moment, he goes, not what I want, God, but what you want. I am here to follow you. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That is true about everything. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. Key thing, sometimes praying for just a minute is not enough. Sometimes you need a few minutes. And he comes back and he says, My father, this cannot pass unless I drink it. Your will be done. Again, I'm telling you, he's, he's interacting with God and he's saying, my desire, my want, my will is to not do this. This is going to be awful and I don't want to do it. But not what I want, what you want. And again, again, and again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. He doesn't say anything this time. He just goes back and says, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time saying the exact same thing. That's the Jesus model. We are followers. That's it. That's our job. We are to be about the things that Jesus is about. And if we're about the things that Jesus is about, he was about following God. He was only about doing what God showed him to do. And God has given us our marching orders throughout the New Testament. And just real quick, if we totally and 100% in Christian world believe that our children should be submissive to the parents, how much more should we be submissive to our Father God in heaven, who is perfect? If you expect my kids to follow me, and I am flawed to the nth degree, I am flawed to my core, but you expect them to follow me, how much more should I follow a God that is perfect and without flaw? But we struggle so much. We struggle to follow God. We struggle to follow our pastors, our elders, our bosses, our parents, our spouses. We struggle to follow because we want to lead. We want to be in control. And I believe that part of sanctification of becoming more like Jesus is this systematic step-by-step of letting go. Letting go of our money. Letting go of our church. Letting go go of our children, letting go of our control, letting go of the direction of my life, letting go of my status, my power, my authority, my wealth, my everything, because he deserves it, because God is so worth it. And we knew that the moment that we believed in Jesus as Savior, but we sometimes forget how great that moment is when we start putting, G- putting God in his rightful place as our Lord. I'm going to end with this one. I'm going to end with this. 
How can we be followers of Jesus if we're not a part of his mission? The mission of God, the mission of Jesus, is laid out for us, and it says, go and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them all that I have commanded you to do and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those are our marching orders. And the reason that I'm teaching this and the reason I'm pretty passionate about this and the the punch to the gut that God has given me is that we're all struggling to be followers because we're not doing this. Well, I'm discipling my kids. Great, wonderful, don't stop that. I'm discipling in the church. Great, don't stop that. But we've forgotten that the first step in discipling is salvation. The church has forgotten, and it's a quote, and I wish I could attribute it, I'll figure it out, I'll find out who said it, and I'll attribute it to them later, but it's, it's a quote that says, the church is the only organization built for the benefit of its non-members. And that was the problem the Sadducees had. The Sadducees only cared about how it benefited them. And Jesus says, I came to benefit the entire world. And that's where the church has missed it in this area of following the most. Each one of us individually, myself included, myself leading the way, I've got to be a better follower. I've got to be a better follower of Jesus. I've got to submit my will and submit my wants and submit my desires and submit all of my life to him. And each of us individually have to do that. But if we look corporately as a church, as a body of believers, the place that we are following the least is in making new disciples. And Jesus said, that's my mission. And if you want to follow Jesus, his mission is people. And to reach people, we have to stop bashing them. Because if we continue to speak negatively of those who don't know Jesus, how do we ever expect them to come into a relationship with us where we can explain to them how amazing God is? but we've become distracted. We've become distracted with all sorts of different things. And just like the Sadducees, we like our perceived power, we like our perceived control, and in fact, I think we'd like more of it if we're gonna be honest. And some of our motives are great in in wanting to have more power. But the reality is, our job as followers of Jesus is just that. Follow Jesus. To follow his model, to pray, and to seek the will of God, putting our will underneath anything he might want for us. Because when we do that, all of a sudden we're going to love people more. We're going to be who Jesus was a person who came for the lost and the broken and the hurting. May we at Harrisonville Community Church be that place that is known for how well we follow what God has asked us to do in loving the world the same way he does. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have given us marching orders. That you, we, we don't have to guess. I love that. We don't have to guess of what it is that you want from us. We don't have to guess as, as to what your will is. Now, we, can, we, can, we need to seek you when it comes to how to do those things. But big picture, we know what we're supposed to do. 
The challenge is we've been distracted and put so many things in front of that. We've come up with so many reasons to not follow you and loving those who don't look like us, act like us, think like us, or believe like us. God, help us to remove the distraction, to give up our power, to give up our control, to give up our will and our wants and our desires, it's, and to be reminded it's no longer I who live, but Christ, you, Jesus, who lives inside of me. And may we follow that and submit to that and watch you do amazing things through each of our lives as we submit ourselves to you and your will. God, help us to love you more and love others better. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I hope you were blessed.